0: Today's reading is taken from the book of James, reading from chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat, and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created.
1: Do you know who this is? Well, if not, do you know who this is? Well, I suspect most of you would recognise Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that's him as a young boy um, in the left of your screen. Famously, a bodybuilder, actor, and of course, the governator. He remains a legend in the world of competitive bodybuilding, most of all for his record-breaking first, uh, seven first-place finishes at Mr. Olympia, uh, the world's premier bodybuilding event but he didn't get from there to there overnight or without any hard work, rather hours and hours over years and years of hard, painful effort. Why go through all that pain? Because he had a goal in mind. He knew where he wanted to get to and he knew the route to get there. No pain, no gain. If you've ever pushed yourself in the gym or in almost any form of exercise, you'll know that pain is the right word. As your muscles are screaming, as your lungs are burning, if you don't have a clear goal in mind, a vision of the gain, you'll never put yourself through the pain. We're starting a new series today in the New Testament book of James. And James is very much a book of no pain, no gain. James will say hard things to us, but they are for our good. They are because he wants the best for us. They are because he has his eyes on the prize. He is fixed on the gain, the gain that he wants for us. Those of you who like practical uh, sermons will love this series, but it's not going to be comfortable if you come to church to get a a gentle shot of feel-good vibes. James is not the book for you. In fact, maybe for the next few weeks you want to watch a different service. And no, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Please do stay. Watch watch hours. But we're going to need to be ready to listen and to act. The very first thing that James says after his initial greeting gives us a flavour of what's to come. And if you do have a Bible to hand, it would be, I think, extra helpful today uh, looking at James. He says this, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy whenever you... You face trials, James says to us. And we say to James, no offence, but are you mental? But as I said, like a good trainer, James has his eyes on the prize, even though he knows there's some pain to be gone through on the journey. And the prize is there in verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. That verse closes off the first of two neat sections that we have in our passage today. Section 1, verses 2 to 12. Seek the blessing in your trials. And then verses 13 to 15 sorry, 13 to 18. Don't blame God in your trials. Seek the blessing in your trials. Don't blame God in your trials. So verses 2 to 12, seek the blessing in your trials. And that begins with this command in verses 2 to 4. Rejoice in trials because it is through the testing of your faith that you reach maturity. Read verse two with me again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing produces, first of all, perseverance. And the picture here is of a person successfully carrying a heavy load for a long time. As one of the commentators puts it, a Christian must have staying power. And this can only be developed in the face of opposition. James says trials produce perseverance. Think back to the gym. If you walk in off the street, you've never lifted a weight before and you immediately try and pick up 100 kilograms, you're going to fail. But if you start with 40 kilograms and repeat until it hurts and until you can do it 10 times and then shift to 45 kilograms, and then 50, and then 60, and so on, then you'll get there. But if you say the first time, that hurts, I'm giving up, I'm off to McDonald's instead, then you'll never get there. Just as if Arnold had shied away from the heavyweights, he'd never have made it to Mr. Olympia if he hadn't been prepared to go through the pain. In our Christian lives, sometimes because we're Christians, sometimes just because we live in a fallen world and because of what's going on in the world, trials will come. And it is as we endure, as we turn to God in those trials, not away from God, that perseverance is built. And don't just think of the big trials, bereavement, illness coronavirus lockdown strength for the big trials is built in the everyday it is after we have withstood a thousand little trials and temptations faithfully that we will be able to stand in the day of great testing but if we always give in to the little temptations thinking This doesn't matter, it's only small. If we turn away from God in the small trials, then we will also fail on the day of great temptation. Just as pushing your muscles produces strength, so trials produce perseverance. Keeping on trusting God, keeping on praising God, keeping on choosing God, instead of choosing sin, produces strong, enduring persevering faith trials produce perseverance. But perseverance is not a goal in and of itself. It's valuable only if you are persevering towards something worth attaining. As the saying goes, failure is getting to the top of the ladder and then realising that it's against the wrong wall. The goal is there for us in verse four. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so James says, let, there's another command here, let perseverance finish its work. Again, if we jump back at the first sign of struggle and difficulty, then we'll never get that strength, we'll never get that maturity. So, Let me ask you a question. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Do you want to reach wholeness, completeness, spiritual maturity? Well, James tells us that we get there not by going off to a monastery, not by getting in touch with our inner self, not by sitting in an ashram on top of a mountain, but by enduring through trials. And isn't this a goal worth pursuing to be mature and complete, not lacking anything stable, steadfast, trustworthy in a crisis? It reminds me of the image in Ephesians 4 um, where Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, but mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Or that image in Psalm 1, uh, like a tree planted by streams of water, solid, steadfast, unaffected by drought or heat. And so in what we're going through at the moment, in what could arguably be called a time of testing, what is being revealed in us? How have we responded to our testing? Turning in on ourselves, turning to sinful pleasures, self-medicating with food or television or alcohol, or turning to the Lord, turning to our Christian brothers and sisters to seek support from them, turning outwards to serve others. Are we persevering through this trial? It's worth careful reflection. And if we realise that we're not, well, James tells us what to do. In the very next verse, he says, pray. Specifically, ask for the wisdom you need to persevere under trial. Verse five says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, James isn't just talking about wisdom in general here wisdom for the stock market, when to invest, or wisdom as to whether to marry Julian or Jimmy or Johnny, or whether to buy this car or that one. It's a popular calendar verse, this one. Not just pray for wisdom and God will guide you. Now, we should pray for wisdom in any and all of those kinds of decisions, but here specifically James is talking about wisdom to see our situation as James calls us to see it, to be able to see the good. In our trials, to be able to persevere, to be able to be joyful. Wisdom, spiritual sight, sight to see that perseverance, that the goal of maturity and completeness in Christ and the crown of life are worth more than seeking comfort by turning away from God. True wisdom is choosing to believe that God is good despite my circumstances. James says, pray for that wisdom, wisdom to believe that God is good despite my circumstances. But he immediately warns us, be careful. You should only expect to receive it if you genuinely desire the maturity and completeness of your faith. Verse six, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When he says double-minded there, James means they've got half a mind looking towards God, but also half a mind looking back towards the world. They're not fully committed to either. And so we have to ask... Do we really want to go forward with God or are we trying to keep a foot in both camps, one with God and one in the world? Are we praying like uh, the first century theologian Augustine who admitted that in his younger days he prayed, Lord make me holy but not yet. Do we actually want God to help us to count it all joy? Because if we do it's risky It might lead to new levels of sacrifice, walking forwards with God. And if we don't, if we are double-minded, if we're not much bothered about living for Jesus, then God will not give us wisdom if we're not going to put it to good use. But if we do, if we do pray this prayer with sincerity, then God is not short of power or generosity. Verse 5 again, ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If we really want it, this wisdom, he will really give it. So do we really want it? And if God does give us that wisdom, then we will be able to see all of our circumstances through its lens, including even our money. As we understand the idea that true wisdom is choosing to believe that God is good despite our circumstances, then it makes perfect sense that James turns next to talk about poverty and wealth. James says that those who have the wisdom he speaks of (coughs) will see the bigger picture. Verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Whereas the, the rich, James says, should take pride in their humiliation. Well, what is he talking about here? James says that for the humble, believes in humble circumstances, uh, other translations say poverty, should be able to see that actually they're in the highest position they could be because they are in Christ. They are with Christ. Christ, verse 18 tells us that we as believers are going to be a kind of first fruits, the pinnacle, the crowning glory of all that God has created. And he says the rich should take pride in their humiliation. That is, that as rich people come to Christ, come to faith, and begin to see with the kind of wisdom that James is talking about, then they will realize that actually they're not in a high position at all. They're on the same level as everybody else. The world exalted them. They were exalted in their own eyes, but actually once they've seen what true glory looks like in Christ and the glory that is coming, they realise that their riches are as nothing. Verse 10, the rich take pride in their humiliation, they will pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Poor or rich, true blessedness is this. Verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. See there how James closes the circle. He began in verse 2, talking about trials and testing and the perseverance that a believer can build through trials. And now here in verse 12, he concludes by reminding us of the ultimate goal of that perseverance, of that completeness. That those who persevere to the end, those who hold on to their faith in Christ through thick and thin, through good times and bad times, at the top of the mountain and in the valley of tears, will receive the crown of life. Now, James could stop there, but it seems there's a question that may have arisen as we were reading verses 1 to 12 that James feels we might use as an excuse not to obey. And we know this is a continuation of the same thought, not a complete change of subject, because the word tempted in verse 13 is actually the same word translated as test in verse 3 and test in verse 12. So we could read verse 13 as saying, When tested, no one should say, God is testing me. Here's the objection James seems to be answering. Someone might say, "Okay, James, I hear what you're saying, but isn't God in charge of the world? And if so, then when testing times come, aren't they from him? And so if those tests, those trials are difficult, well, that's God's fault for bringing them on us and his fault that we sin." or back off when times are hard. To which James says, verses 13 to 18, don't blame God in your trials. Don't excuse your desire to take the easy route out by blaming God. God is seeking your good, even in the toughest of times. Because those who do blame God, those who throw up their hands and say, well, if it's this hard, I'm not going to bother will never reach the maturity that God wishes us to attain. Trials produce perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. James doesn't deny that God permits the trial, but he denies that God does so with evil intent to entice us to sin. Rather, he reminds us that whenever we choose to turn from faith to sin, It is always us and never God. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Think of a fish swimming in a straight course, but then drawn off course by something that seems attractive, only to discover that the bait is. As a deadly hook rather than bearing under and persevering successfully carrying a heavy load we're so often it's our own desires that distract us off course by the shiny and fleeting pleasures of sin and if we do so and then we do so again and then we do so again and we do so again then rather than coming to maturity sin grows to maturity in us and sin when fully grown brings death the puritan theologian john owen said be killing sin or it will be killing you be killing sin or it will be killing you verse 15 then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown when sin is mature brings gives birth to death now here's the thing At any point, at any point, sin can be killed. It is never too late to repent. But the longer we leave it, the more we let a sinful desire, a sinful direction of life continue, the harder it is. The bigger it is, the stronger it is. The harder it is to kill. The day to repent and fight our sin is today. Now, tomorrow, it will be stronger. James doesn't deny that God permits the trial, but he denies that God does so with evil intent. Rather, just as a good trainer gives the one he is training progressively harder tasks, as Arnie's trainer would have done, and just like a good father allows his child to struggle as they are learning to walk, learning to climb, learning to run, God allows in our lives what we need to build perseverance to bring us to maturity, to bring us to completeness, so that we might be, verse 18, a kind of first fruits of all he created, the crowning glory of what he has done. All that comes from him is for our good, even in the hardest of times. As Joni Erickson Tada says, God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Well, that's the start of our journey through James together. Um, I hope you are ready for a painful but gainful few weeks. And so let us seek the blessing in our trials. Let us pray for wisdom to see that perseverance maturity and completeness in Christ and the crown of life are worth more than anything else so that we may rejoice and persevere and stand the test right to the end. In Jesus' name. Amen.